Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. I also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret the pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip Golf Pride. Okay, now joining me is two-time winner on tour, Rick Fair. Let me give you some background on Rick. He's from Seattle, Washington. He won the 1979 National Junior Championship, played his college golf at BYU, where he earned his bachelor's degree in finance. Rick was named All-American in 1982, 83, and 84, and he was the WAC Conference Player of the Year all three of those years as well. Plus, he helped BYU win the WAC Conference Championship all four years he was there. Rick was a member of the Cougars National Championship team in 1981, along with our friend Richard Zokel. Rick won the 1982 Western Amateur. In 1983, he was a member of the Walker Cup team that defeated Great Britain and Ireland 13.5 to 10.5. Rick was a low amateur in the 1984 Masters and U.S. Open. Turned pro in 1984 and joined the PGA Tour in 1985. Got his first win at the 1986 BC Open. Win number two came at the 1994 Disney World Oldsmobile Classic. Rick finished number one on tour and putting in 1998. And along with his two wins, he finished second nine times and had 41 top tens. In 1999, Rick was inducted into the BYU Hall of Fame. And in 2019, he was inducted into the Pacific Northwest Golf Association Hall of Fame. And I'm very honored. He is with me here tonight on Next on the Tee. Hey, Rick, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks, Chris. Great to join you. Rick, with first-time guests, I always like to start at the beginning. Where did your love for the game come from, and who was the first person to put a club in your hands? Well, probably like so many back in uh, the days when I was learning, uh, my father. My dad was... uh, an avid golfer and a really good one. He won his club championship at our home course 21 times. <laughs> All said and done, uh, won the Washington State Open as an amateur, I think in 1962, the year I was born. So he was an avid golfer. And then uh, I was introduced to the game at Sandpoint Country Club out here in Seattle. And I played a lot of other sports, but I fell in love with golf and, and uh, went on from there. Kind of had some early success. Won junior tournaments right away and um, kind of just went from there and built one thing on the other. And, um, by the way, your research is tremendous. I, I wouldn't have been able to recount all those things I did many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So, Rick, you're talking about being so good at such a young age. Again, you won the, the 79 National Junior Championship. I'm always intrigued. Talk about dealing with tournament pressure at such a young age. How did you deal with that? Well, it's interesting. Now that I reflect back after the PGA Tour, obviously, and then now as many years as an instructor and coach, I feel like I understand it a whole lot better. Um, path was uh, always competitive. You know, that, that's important. And I found a lot of motive, self-motivation. I didn't need anybody to tell me to get out there and practice. And I was out here in Seattle. I was often the only dummy on the golf course in the pouring rain. And I just <laughs> I had work to do and, and goals to achieve. Um, I, I, a friend of mine, Phil Blackmore, Maybe you've had Phil on, but uh, we chat from time to time. And, and you know, we use the phrase self-belief and, and how, you know, I think that Mark, you know, Calcavecchia and Pertz and all these guys, you know, how do you how do you grow that? I'm not entirely sure. I'm trying to figure it out. But, but I think from an early age, I felt like I could dig deep and, and beat the other guys. And um, so so I think that was a big part of it and, and you know, still enjoying the game. Uh, always loving the challenge of of getting better, and uh, so whatever I just found it kind of found a channel for um, my drive and motivation, and it happened to be playing golf. And Rick, as a kid growing up in Seattle, again having won a, a junior championship, I have to imagine colleges from all over the country were trying to recruit you. Who were some of the the, the colleges coming after you? Which which ones were you? considering and how did BYU end up being the one you chose? Great question. Uh, so Seattle's not, not quite in the middle of the golf hotbed. And, and, and when I played junior golf, it was right, right when the junior golf association was starting to kind of get its feet under itself. And, and it was probably more of a Southeast kind of thing. So, you know, we played a handful of tournaments out here, just, uh, the U.S. Junior and the PGA National Junior is the one I won there in '79. But yeah, I I think coaches coaches start figuring out there's a kid up here in the in the Northwest that play a bit. And so Jesse Haddock at Wake Forest and Mike Holder at Oklahoma State, um, Eddie Marins at UCLA, and then who ended up being my coach was recruiting me. And and then kind of late in the game. Uh, Stanford and David Yates, he was kind of a, um, became the coach at Stanford kind of at the end of my recruiting process. And uh, anyway, I, I, I visited UCLA and, oh, and there was also Ohio State, I'm sorry, but I visited UCLA and Ohio State, BYU, and I just, uh, the kind of the culture and the atmosphere at BYU just felt like, hey, if I'm going to tra- leave town and, and leave home and live somewhere else and play college golf, uh, BYU felt comfortable. I'm not, I'm not Mormon, but at the time we had, you know, quite a few of the athletes that were recruited weren't. And, um, you know, BYU at the time had a great legacy of success, perennially top five in the country back in the, back in the eighties when I was there. And, uh, so anyway, that was, so that was, uh, landed at BYU and it was a great four years and we had a lot of success. Yeah, so talk about you. You mentioned how perennially they were there in the top five. I mean, the year before you get there, they finished second in the national championship, so they had pretty high 
expectations coming into your freshman year, and then all of a sudden you guys win a national championship. But talk about joining a team. I mean, talk about jumping into the fire. You're on a team that's ready to win a national championship, and then you go on and do it. Talk about that. Well, the first thing we had to do was to get Bobby Clampett to turn pro early and get rid of him. Um, he <laughs> <laughs> he left after his junior year. You know, so the, the you know the the tail of the tape is we would have been super strong if Bobby, you know, had stayed for his senior year. So we were probably, uh, you know, sort of our rankings or expectations obviously went down when Bobby left for good reason, right? He was ready to play professional golf and. Uh, and I came, and I you know, good. Fortunately for me, I hit the ground running, and and our fall qualifiers actually as a freshman was winning those qualifiers and shooting crazy scores. So I was able to jump into the lineup right away and had some early success. And um, you know, we all really enjoyed each other. Great, you know, like you mentioned, Richard Zokel and and other Clearwater and and other guys that were good friends and all really good players. And we we all really well at Stanford golf course there in May and and uh, knocked off Oral Roberts there down the stretch. Rick, like I mentioned in your intro, you were a part of the 1983 Walker Cup team. You guys had Nathaniel Crosby was a part of that team, a U.S. amateur champion. Brad Faxon was another member of that team. Talk about your making that team and then going over to Royal Liverpool and winning the event. Yeah, uh, I suppose the way I got on that team, probably it, it primarily was having won the Western Amateur, uh, losing the semifinals at the U.S. Am. So, um, you know, those two things, obviously, a uh, couple of the, the top amateur uh, tournaments and, and got the attention of the USGA and the, the selection committee. And um, wonderful, wonderful experience went over there. And that year, Jay Siegel was the playing captain. So, he was the captain of the team and, and was a, also a, a player in the lineup. And he chose me as his uh, um, as his partner in all the, the foursomes and four-ball matches. And, uh, you know, it was a great experience. A, lot, a couple, 36 holes a day in practice, and I played all the matches. So it was a lot of work and pretty exhausted at the end of the day. But we uh, narrowly knocked him off over there at Royal Liverpool. Rick, you played in the Masters in 1983 and 84 as an amateur. I believe you missed the cut probably by a stroke, I think it was, in 83. You come back in your low amateur in 84 and tie for 25th in the golf tournament. That was the year Ben Crenshaw got his first win there. So you're there in, in Butler Cabin being interviewed by Augusta National Chairman Ford Harden for the CBS broadcast. You're there on the podium on 18, getting presented the low amateur trophy. Talk about what that experience was like for you. Yeah, it's very fortunate. Uh, 83, unfortunately, I missed the cut by one stroke. I remember we had rain delays, and um, Dr. Gil Morgan uh, parred 18 to knock me out, meaning if he had bogeyed, uh, I would have been within 10 shots of the lead. So I missed by one that first time. Was fortunate to go back in 84 and played really, really well. I shot. I think it was 72, 71, 70 the first three days and was, I think I was tied for 12th going the last round. Uh, disappointing final round of 75, but, um, uh, anyway, great experience and, you know, there's nothing like Augusta and uh, I think all of us 
uh, <laughs> the pins and needles you feel uh, like you're upon trying to get around 18 holes with, you know, and avoiding disaster and, and manage your way around. But uh, I was able to go back, I think, four more times as a professional. But but 84 as an amateur was probably the probably the the best best experience I had there. You went back in 86. You finished tied for 36. But the 86 Masters is my favorite golf tournament ever. Did you stick around to see Jack Nicholas win it? I, I did not. I did not. Uh, I wish I had. Obviously, there was. Sometimes you don't know history is unfolding around you. And I've been asked. I was on the golf course a few holes behind Tiger when he made his hole in one at at the uh, Waste Management or the Phoenix Open, and I didn't hear a darn thing all the way out there on 13. But um, no, that's one of the greatest wins of all time. And obviously, Tiger has done some pretty special stuff since then. But I don't know if it was in 86, but uh, a memory of Nicholas, and I don't know what year it was, but I think one of the greatest feats of all time is Jack Nicholas made two on the fifth hole twice in the same event, you know, in tournament play, which is probably one of the toughest par fours that nobody ever sees. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Jack Nicholas is legendary and, and a wonderful man, too. Rick, you get your first win on tour later that year in 86 at the BC Open. You win by two strokes over Larry Mize and finish two strokes off the tournament record, making four birdies on the front nine in the final round to get that win. Talk about what it was like getting your first win on tour. Yeah. Uh, such a neat event, and I know it's found its way over to the Champions Tour now, but that community up there in Endicott, New York, has always done a great job, and it's a favorite stop for for a lot of tour players through the years but um it's interesting i had a horrible uh uh i didn't enjoy myself there let's say in 1985 i think i was grinding away and um played poorly and i think the weather was lousy and so i didn't go there in 86 expecting much and uh uh got things going and, and played well and i recall just wedging it in close uh all week long the par fives little soft and I was I was laying up on par fives and wedging it in close making birdies and maintained that all four days and uh you know uh again I I think I was fortunate early on in my my playing career junior golf and college and amateur I learned to win and um I think when I got close to the lead I think I managed to kind of stay in the thick of it and finish it off but obviously uh there's nine seconds to go with the two wins, so maybe I didn't have the greatest conversion rate, but uh, yeah, I felt comfortable out front and in the thick of it, and unfortunately that week I managed to pull it off. And Rick, when you talk about grinding away, it, it was eight years before you would get your second win, but you kept knocking on the door in the early 90s. You got into a playoff at the 91 Greater Hartford Open, at the 92 Bob Hope Chrysler Classic, and at the 92 Memorial Tournament as well. And then again at the Sprint International, talk about the fortitude to keep knocking on that door and not getting discouraged. Man, I tell you, it's uh, it's easy to point to those good weeks, but there's an awful lot of a lot, a lot of struggle. And I think getting to know your own game, and uh, you know, I I jumped on the line here enough to hear the you know, last ten or fifteen minutes. I think he said that you know when you're playing bad, you never feel like you're going to play well again, and 
when you're playing good, you never feel like you're going to struggle again. And, and I think that, um, you know, even in today's game, now that I'm a, I'm in the coaching end of things, um, you know, it's just interesting to understand how do we, uh, looking back, I think all of us, when we get down the road a bit in life, we feel like we've learned a lot and, and hopefully I can help others to kind of make the, make the struggles a little more brief and, and extend the good play. But I think, uh, I think in this day and age, I think uh, what's missing is a lot of people maybe don't understand their own game. You know, there's, we're exposed to so much, um, whether it's something somebody thinks is perfection when it comes to a golf swing or a putting stroke or whatever. And, and I think that I would have had even a more sustained uh, level of good play if I had kind of stayed to myself. You know, I think when we go through struggles, we're looking for new ideas and opinions. And um, I look back and it's like, darn, I wish I just stayed with kind of what I had and had not gone and seen that instructor or whatever else. But, um, but I think that, I think uh, in my coaching now and, and helping other golfers play well, um, it's super noticeable to me that there's a lot of people that simply do not that simply do not understand the process uh, of learning and playing well. And I think that um, you know that you've got to you got to push through some things. You gotta, I think one of the couple of the hardest workers I've ever seen are Tiger Woods and Bernhard Langer. And, you know, look at that, or even a VJ Singh. And, and these, these guys have sustained great play for a long period of time. So, um, you know, working hard, knowing what to work on. Um, I, I think that what I had was tenacity and, um, and just, you know, would stay at it. I think I also learned, uh, early enough in my career when it was time to just step away and take time off. And uh, I think sometimes, you know, you've got to know when it's time to go home for a few weeks and uh, and kind of refresh. So, um, you know, I, I think, again, I, I I had a certain level of talent that was good enough to play at that level. And, you know, I hung in there long enough for things to turn around once in a while. And then inevitably it ends when you can't turn it around anymore. So, um, but anyway. Really, really fortunate and blessed to have had the career I had. Rick, just a couple more before I let you go. And speaking of finally turning it around, you, you knocked the door down in 1994 at the Disney World Oldsmobile Classic. You win there by two over Craig Stadler and Fuzzy Zeller. You and Stadler were, were tied going into the final round, but you almost didn't make it to the golf course in time for your tee time on Sunday. I read you got there 15 minutes before you were supposed to tee off. Talk about the events of that morning and how you were able to kind of calm the nerves, get rid of the stress, and then go out and win a golf tournament. Yeah, yeah. So, like so many other players, Disney Week is a fun family time, and uh, I had my wife Terry and, and our two youngest, uh, or two oldest, I should say, with us that week, and uh, we had a courtesy car. We were staying, renting a condo in Lake Buena Vista, and and I had late tea time, and I thought, yeah, I told Terry that. To take take the boys and one last day at the parks and and that sort of thing and hey I'll just have tournament transportation pick me up. Well, I had arranged for a ride. And tournament transportation wasn't showing up. <laughs> Believe it or not, Chris, there weren't cell phones back. <laughs> we didn't have cell phones and stuff. And so I'm running back into the condo and and actually 
yellow pages, looking at yellow pages, trying to get a cab, desperately trying to find somebody to come pick me up because I'm, you know, whatever, I'm a few miles away from the course. And finally, tournament transportation showed up, got me the course there with 12 or 15 minutes to spare. And I think the person panicking the most was my caddy. And <laughs> Jim Friedman was hanging in there, and I threw on some shoes and went and probably hit 12 shots on the range and headed to the tee. And, you know, it, it, it may be that it kind of took my focus away from all the, the other stresses. And I went out there and played played a pretty good round of golf. And um, kind of funny, it's a, the trophy. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a big brass inlaid deal with uh, Donald and Mickey and Goofy, you know, on top of it. And so I won a trophy with Donald and Mickey and Goofy and beat a guy named Fuzzy and, and uh and the walrus. So I knocked off Fuzzy and the Walrus to win the Donald, Mickey and Goofy. But not quite it doesn't have the feeling of a major, but it was a pretty important event. <laughs> and and Rick, just a, a comment in the round. I you hit your tee shot on the par three twelve and you buried it in the bunker, but you managed to blast it out to six feet and you saved par. Sadler had birdied the first four holes on the back nine, but that that was an amazing up and down that you had. Talk about how key that sand save was to propelling you on to victory. Yeah, yeah, it was. And uh, thanks for jogging the memory. Uh, it's one of those things that you could say, oh, this is, yeah, this is what I did that was different. It's just, no, I think that um, it was obviously the momentum was going in Craig's direction. Obviously, I hit a poor tee shot there. And and I just think that what I could point to, and this might be some help to if there's any young aspiring players listening. I don't know. It's a bunch of us old guys talking. But, but anyone out there that uh, you don't know what condition or what kind of shot is going to be called upon. You know, there's no two shots are the same. So I just think in practice and in training, get as creative as you can and try every darn shot you can find and um you know you learn cause and effect and you know i i knew how to hit a shot from a buried lie and you know kind of firm firm base in the bunker and you know it happened to come out really nice obviously to hit a shot you know out of that kind of lie to six feet but um you know i was prepared and uh i executed but um you know i was only two for about 400 as far as <laughs> 400 tour events and one twice so um, it didn't always come off uh, that well, but I think if you stay at it long enough, you know, your time's going to come. Rick, before I let you go, remind our listeners, you talked about your coaching. Talk about what you're doing now and how we can stay up to date with you, whether it's on your website or it's over social media. Yeah, I probably, probably the, I haven't put too much out there lately, but uh, probably Twitter is the place where I I might share more more thoughts and, and, and ideas, and that's at Fair Golf, F-E-H-R-G-O-L-L-F. Um, uh, Twitter doesn't really suit my style quite as much, but I'm there at Rick Fair. And then and then the website, uh, it's not a whole lot there, so I just point you to, to Twitter and, and Instagram. And then what I'm doing is uh, I'm the director of instruction at a, a the top private club out here in Washington State, Aldera Golf Club. We're hosting the Pac-12s here this next month, and just fantastic club with great membership and uh, um, do a lot of coaching, and primarily to the the members here at the club, but I also teach some 
some folks who aren't members and, and love what I'm doing. Just feel like I've learned a lot and uh, I am passionate about continuing to learn, figure out how guys like Cal and Pertz and I played well and, and how Tiger did it and Paul Amorikawa and, and then trying to share that, that wisdom with others. So it's kind of my new, my new deal. I poured myself into competitive golf and now I've poured myself into coaching and I'm going after it with the same sort of uh, intensity and enthusiasm. Love it. Well, Rick, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your evening to come and be a part of the show. Learned a lot from you. You got a lot of great stories. I hope we get the privilege of having you back sometime. Oh, I'd love to do it, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Rick, take care. All the best in your family. Look forward to catching up soon. That is Rick Fair. F-E-H-R is the spelling of his last name. And uh, at Rick Fair on social media. And uh, you talk about a guy who was a grinder. You know, I love the fortitude. He kept knocking on that door. Got a win. And then just kept knocking on the door, getting himself into a playoff. Didn't always work out, but continuing to push forward and then got his second win. And uh, now he's doing some great things as an instructor. But uh, Rick's a great guy. And uh, like I say, I hope we get to, uh, to catch up with him again soon. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Tom Patry, Tom Pertzer, Mark Kalkovecchia, and Rick Fair for joining me tonight. Scheduled to join me next week are a great friend of the show and four-time winner on the PGA Tour, Tim Simpson, will be back, as will one of the top instructors in the game and the host of the Golf Kingdom TV show, Rob Strano, will be here, as will 21-time winner between the PGA and Champions Tour. John Cook will be back. Looking forward to having Cookie back as part of the show. Then we'll round it out with PGA Class A professional and the host of the pro show, Keith Stewart. So, folks, it's going to be a great show. I hope you'll come back and join us and be a part of it. You can listen to this show as a podcast on just about every major podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast.co, Audioboom, Player.fm, and Podbean. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to stay up to date with what our future guest schedule looks like. Plus, we've got links on there for you to recent episodes and individual guest segments. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show again tonight. I know you've got a lot of golf podcasts to choose from. I am very thankful that you are making Next on the Tee one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.
Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com.